So I think to this day, people, generally speaking, do not realize the prevalence of suicide in our community. And I know there's a variety of reasons why that is the case. Stigma, um, you know, a sense of shame when a family member uh, takes their own life, that sort of thing. Something you, I'm sure, are very aware of, uh, Brian, uh, over time. But I, I think that's fair to say that that's still the case, that people don't recognize necessarily how prevalent suicide is. That's true. Um, I think we've come a long way, mm. um, particularly in the past few decades, there's been uh, a lot more awareness and a lot more willingness to talk about suicide and suicide prevention. So we, we've made a lot of strides. Uh, people are much more open to talking about mental health uh, on par with physical health. And that was missing for a very long time. And that just generated that stigma. Mm. So I think that we have come quite a, quite a distance. Um, you know, we still have suicide. But um, we, I think we've, you know, through conversations like this and through trainings and uh, just a general over, overwhelm, uh, uh, greater awareness of mm. what to look for and what it means and recognition that it's really a universal uh, human condition and a human struggle. And that um, in order to address it correctly, we need to reduce that stigma. Hmm. Yeah, because, you know, if you're going to prevent uh, that action, then you want to be able to have a conversation about it. And, and, and it may be a generational thing, too. Um, and I don't know uh, if you've seen that. Uh, but certainly, you know, um, yeah, there is that there is that old, old stigma. But but I feel I feel that our conversations are getting more open. And, and of course, you're a member of the Berkshire Coalition for Suicide Prevention, um, which is a volunteer group. And um, and uh, I'm sure a bunch of the resources are all involved in this as well. Remember, you know, the Brain Center and and others, uh, you know, for instance. But um, but yeah, I think I think we are making progress or it feels that way. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And we've got a lot of community support. You know, anytime we have something um where we try to do an event, uh, I'll tell you, people are very quick to jump on board. Mm. Um, so it's actually easy to do something that is uh, focused on suicide prevention and suicide awareness because it has touched so many people's lives that when we when we do have those conversations about doing an event, um, people are very quickly to say, "Absolutely, sign me up. What can I do?" Yeah, and I and I want to say, and, and you know, and I think it's important for you to say as well is that when we going through this process and we talk about helping others in preventing suicide, it's also recognized that uh, you don't want to make people feel shameful that maybe they failed in that because people have been through this and, you know, the idea of, oh, well, you should have seen the signs or, you know, we've told you about the signs and, and you never saw it and, and now you've lost a loved one. Um I know that's not the intention uh, of of what you're trying to accomplish, obviously. Right. And, and you know, as we continue this conversation, I just want to get something out in front uh, because, you know, this isn't television where, they, where we might have a scroll or something on the, on the, on the screen here. So <laughs> yeah. so I may periodically just revisit this, this statement here that, um, you know, that as we're having this conversation, if you or someone that you know needs support right now as you're listening to this, uh, I would ask you to call or text 988. 988 is the national hotline mm -hmm. for uh, suicide prevention. It's a crisis line. It's a, it's a relatively new number. Uh, it's the national number. It's it's um, If you have any of the older numbers, they will be redirected to this 988. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so I, you know, as we go forward with this, you know, I just want to kind of 
hit on a couple points. Uh, one is that suicide is the most preventable cause of death. Hmm. Um, but suicide is also the hardest to detect. And, you know, to the listeners of this po podcast, um, what I'm going to share with you will not make you a therapist. It's not going to make you a psychologist, uh, no more than CPR. I think you hit, hit on that, that, you know, CPR does not make you a cardiologist. Okay. Right. <laughs> this is, this is, um, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a counselor, you know, um, and while I'm going to talk about, uh, what we're going to talk about today is rooted in research. Uh, this is really kind of a, a layman's, uh, suicide prevention awareness kind of discussion, mm. and which means that any one of us can do the things that we're talking about here today. Um, and it's about recognition. It's about referral. It's not necessarily about treatment. Hmm. Um, and it's meant to increase our sense of confidence in, in being able to, to help someone who is at risk or in crisis, because that's the biggest hurdle for a lot of us. Yeah. We may see somebody that we think needs some help. We just don't know what to do. Yeah. So it's conversations like this that are going to build that confidence so hmm. that we can have those conversations for sure. And, you know, we talk about suicide. It's, it's such a, it's such a complicated and such a serious subject. Um, it's a complex health issue not just mental health, it's, it's health, right? Mm. It's, it's our health. And the subject of, of suicide, it can stir up, uh, it can stir up fears, strong emotions. Um, it's likely that many of your listeners have experienced a loss of suicide at some point in their, in their lifetime. And, you know, to those listeners, I just want you to know that I'm sorry for that. Um, but especially if you have, um, this topic may stir up some concerns, some questions. And some people may become upset um, and feel that that they could have done something to have saved someone that they knew or that they loved. And I want to make it very clear. I want to remind everybody that the responsibility of a death by suicide ultimately falls entirely on the person who completed that suicide, not on you. Uh, so again, suicide is the most preventable cause of death, but it is the hardest to predict. And you know we're only responsible for what we know how to do. And we're not here today, certainly not here today to make anybody feel like they missed something or that they failed. Um, you know, we can only know what we know. And this type of training, these types of conversations, this is all relatively new. And the research that's being done is, is new. Uh, but all of this together is helping us to know better what to do. Mm. And this comes back uh, in your experience uh, of years of working in state police. Um, and you would see the DA's office investigating and, be, you know, being part of that. And, um, and part of it is that's the, the prevalence of it, you know, it, and you yourself, because you actually see the cases and, you know, the, the, the things that we don't read in the obituary. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, because a lot of that is, is not, and, and uh, isn't offered, uh, in the obituary as it were. And so, and you were seeing that, um, over time. So, you know, so tell me, uh, you know, tell me about that. I mean, was, did, did you get a, a sense of maybe that there were consistencies over time um, that, uh, that there were, you know, some um, similarities in cases or, or, you know, what, what that looked like as from, from the state police perspective back, you know, when you were working in that capacity. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So that, that is, that's what brought me into the, into the coalition. Um, you know, I, was, I, I Recently graduated, uh, not graduated, but retired. Uh, about I feel like <laughs> I feel like graduated it. <laughs> from a whole course of my life. Right. So I re I retired about a year and a half ago from the state police. I was with them for twenty five years, mm. and um, a good portion of that I spent as a detective with the district attorney's office. 
the uh, the way it's set up in, in Massachusetts is that every county's DA is responsible, has jurisdiction over any death investigations within his or her county. And the investigating body for each DA's office happens to be the state police detective unit. Right, right. So, um, so in the course of, of, of my duties there over those 18 years that I was with the DA's office, there were many, many times where I was dispatched to a death that was the result of a suicide. So that repeated uh, interaction with families, particularly, um, and just seeing their their grief and their their um, their you know, in, as I hit on earlier, the idea that they might have missed something mm. um, led me to uh, look for something else in the county to be a way to maybe get ahead of that, some way maybe mitigate suicide if possible. And so when the coalition first came about, that's you know I said that's for me, mm -hmm. and uh, so I've been with them ever since. But to your to your question about my experiences in that role, um, I can only say that every situation is different in its own way. Um, but you know what we've seen is if there is a pattern, uh, it would have to be more with the means that people use um, nationally. So and and it reflected it definitely reflected here. I can I can vouch for it from what I saw here. Um, more than 50%, about 52% of all suicide deaths uh, come as a result of using a firearm. Right, right. Okay. And that, and I want to stress on this too, when I, when I, anytime during this conversation, if we're talking about firearms and, and how they've been uh, uh, utilized in, in suicide deaths and, and the, the the level of lethality of a firearm, that's what I'm talking about. It's the level of lethality. This isn't a Second Amendment conversation or anything right, like right, that. Right, right. Um, this is about saving the people around us and, and ourselves. Mm. And, Firearms are more lethal than other things, and mm -hmm. given the impulsivity that usually goes with a lot of decisions to right. make, right, uh, to, to to maybe take your life, firearms uh, don't give a lot of leeway. Right. There's no there's no uh, sort of changing your mind uh, once you know once that trigger is is pulled, where right. you know other ways of of doing the act, you know, yeah. it's not it's not the same. It's not right. the same. Yeah. Right. And it's predominantly men who use firearms. Uh, Women have. I've seen women who've used firearms, so it's not uh, out of the realm that, that women will use firearms. But it's predominantly a, a male uh, means. Um, so actually, statistically speaking, um, women attempt suicide more frequently, hmm. but men die three times um, are more are three times more likely to actually die by suicide. And a lot of that is attributed to the to the means that they use, which is, tends to be firearms. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Interesting. And so going through this, um, some of the warning signs, uh, maybe that's a good place to uh, continue the conversation. You know what? And again, not turning people into psychiatrists or psychologists right. or right. mental health experts or social workers, but um, but over time, you know, there are indicators, there are yeah. warning signs right. that families may want to look out for and friends may want to look out for. Right. So there's really like there's actually like two uh two pillars to be looking at, two pillars of information. One would be uh, categorized as, as risk factors. And those those can be in three different categories, uh, health factors, historical factors, and environmental factors. So what you're looking for there, you know, we're talking about the health factors first. We're talking about psychological, biological, um, things such as that. Um, and, you know, that would include like depression. Okay, that's the most common mental health condition. Um, and, and, and one of the most associated with suicide. 
but there's other issues like, you know, bipolar disorder. Um, there's a multitude of, of issues, but, um, you know, be, because these conditions, um, they put a person at greater risk for suicide. It's, you know, detecting the, the presence of the mental health condition is, is really critically important. And, you know, sometimes people don't even realize that their distress has gotten to a level that's, that's at a crisis level. You know, it, it kind of falls into that boiling frog scenario. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, so, you know, we need to be checking ourselves and need to be checking our, our friends and our family. So anyway, right, because this, if someone, because if someone has like a, a death in the family or a loss of a job or, you know, something traumatic, right. you know, happened to them, then more people are probably automatically checking in on them. Yes. As opposed to this sort of slow burn you're talking about right. know, with someone. Right. Right. So it's not always something that happened overnight. Mm -hmm. uh, very rarely is it actually. Um, so yeah, so, so serious health issues, um, conditions that they, these, this can also increase the, the risk, especially, uh, if someone is also having mental health issues, you know, chronic pain, serious head injuries, all of these things can be the medical can fall into that medical factor. Mm -hmm. Um, there's also the historical factors and that would be such things as a, a history of, of suicide within the family, um, family history of mental health conditions, past trauma, sexual abuse, combat, stress, PTSD, any of that. This is another factor that can, that needs to be considered. And, you know, whenever we talk, every time I hit on this thing with, with mental health, I just want to point out that, that most people who, would, who, um, uh, you know, have mental health issues because they, they say about one or four will have a serious mental health issue at some point in their life. Mm -hmm. But one in four people do not go on to die by suicide. So there's always something else. Okay. That's the prevailing understanding. It's always mm -hmm. more than one thing. Uh, so that would be some historical factors, uh, environmental factors that this would be something that um, involves the circumstances of a person's life. Um, you know, this could be, well, for one, it's having access to a means, mm. which, you know, we, right. the term is, um, you know, access to lethal means. That's the, the terminology. And this includes, you know, having access to a variety of things, firearms that we mentioned, um, medications, drugs, a bridge, a bridge nearby, a car in the driveway, all these things could be, uh, you know, a means of, of, of um, lethality. And there's another thing about contagion. Uh, so there's research has shown that, that contagion and contagion is this exposure uh, to another person's suicide mm. uh, or graphic or sensationalized accounts of suicide. When, especially uh, among people who have other risk factors, this can be an increased risk factor, mm. uh, prolonged stress. I mean, you know, harassment, bullying, relationship problems, legal problems, unemployment, um, stressful life, life events, uh, you know, that happen across your lifespan, divorce, legal problems, job loss again. But the key is that it's, it's the combination of risk factors that, that could have contributed to a, a suicide death. So therefore, um, while a, a life event can play a precipitating role, for, su for suicidal behavior without other underlying risk factors, life events alone aren't thought to cause a suicide. Yeah. Typically, yeah. A perfectly quote unquote healthy person who has a lot to live for all of a sudden gets a really, really bad break. Yep. That person is not likely in that category. You know, you want to check on them, right? you know, uh, but, but you're, you know, so the mental health, maybe underlying, maybe someone who's had depression in the past, or maybe they're bipolar. Um, and then all of a sudden 
bang, something happens, you know, the loss of a job, loss of a marriage, you know, something like that, then that could be the, that can be the, uh, you know, tipping point as it were. Right. Right. So yeah, there's always going to be something else. Um, it's, it's, it's not usually just one thing. E hmm. Even when we've heard stories, we tend to, um, you know, the, the, um, the media, we've had stories of, of kids who have died by suicide and there's some backstory about them maybe being bullied in school. Um, we just need to be careful of understanding that, that, uh, it, it probably wasn't just the bullying alone. Mm -hmm. There was probably bullying's bad. Bullying's bad. It's a contributing but, factor, you know, but the right. average, you know, the, the, you know, the healthy kid or however you want to describe it, right. Being bullied isn't necessarily going to be the, that tipping point. Right. Uh, there's other factors typically involved. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So, so th those are, those are the factors, right? So th those are the things that you, when you're looking for, um, are the red flags, right? And then when we start talking about actual signs that uh, somebody may be suicidal or thinking about suicide, those are the flashing red lights. And, you know, we need to be conscientious of, of, of that as well. Um, you know, this can be, this can be, there can be some obvious things about how they, how they uh, express themselves about what's going on. Um, if they, uh, you know, people tend to tend to, to display something to some degree. Okay, mm -hmm. so um, and it's usually through conversation, through behavior. Yeah. Uh, so things that you'd be looking for are, are conversation pieces. You know, some things that, that people may might be saying. Some people say nothing, yeah. um, but it, some people are more direct. You know, mm -hmm. they may outright say, hey, mm -hmm. um, "I want to end my life. Um, I want to die by suicide. I want to yeah. I want to kill myself." That's pretty direct. It should be taken seriously. But you also have to be careful. And be mindful of the um, the things that maybe aren't so direct. Uh, they, these could be statements like, "I just want to go to sleep and not wake up." Yeah. Or you know, pretty soon you're not going to have to worry about me anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So uh -huh. so you know, keep be mindful of, of those statements. Yeah, because there's a piece of it. I mean, you know, there and there are uh, there is a, a part of suicide that you know part of it is a call for help the or you know at least how i understand it i could be wrong correct me but um but if if you are you know if a part of suicide maybe again i mean I, i'm not a mental health expert but um to some extent a call for help you know there may be calls before that that are coming from them from individuals basically indicating that they don't see what the point of living anymore is, or, you know, that sort of thing, like you're saying, like maybe not directly, oh, I'm going to take my own life, but something along the lines of, oh, I don't even know what the point is anymore. Why, right. you know, what, what is this all about, you know, or something like that. Right. Um, yeah. So, so these are the things you just need to be looking for. Like I said, you know, look yeah. at the other behaviors too. Um, is there a, maybe an increase in alcohol or drug use? Um, are they, um, are they having trouble sleeping too much sleep? Maybe not enough sleep. Uh, are they acting more recklessly? Are they spending money recklessly? Um, are they withdrawing from things that they normally enjoy? Um, they may isolate themselves. They may isolate themselves from their friends, their family, their church, whatever. They may just withdraw altogether. And um, yeah, they may be looking, maybe you see something where they, maybe they might be looking for a way to, to end their lives. Uh, you may see stockpiling of, of pills. You may see now there's, there's, asking around where they can get a firearm, things like that. So um, giving away possessions, that's another one uh, that they, they're looking to try to find a home for these things that were important to them. They want to find it, you know, uh, they want to 
get pro be proactive about getting them to the people that they would rather have them um, take possession of these things. Um, you know, and then of course there's the moods, you know, another thing that look for people's moods, you know, depression, anxiety, rage, irritability, impulsivity, humility, uh, humiliation, uh, anxiety, you know, uh, these are moods that, that, you know, one would expect if, you know, of someone who feels overwhelmed and desperate. And I think any one of us is, every one of us has experienced those, those mm. moods. So it's not any one thing. It's always going to be a combination. You know, we all have ups and downs in our moods. Um, but when, you know, when you notice a change that seems uncharacteristic and, uh, or concerning, uh, it's, it's important to speak to the person about what you're noticing, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, for example, you know, sudden unexplained happiness can even be a warning sign. Uh, that could be a signal <laughs> that wouldn't think, right, exactly. <laughs> but but yeah. if this is a person that's but, been very yeah. depressed for a while or had a certain mode or mood that you were used to or, yeah. or expected from them, that was characteristic. And now all of a sudden they're, they're bouncing around on cloud nine and, you know, handing things out and they seem very, you know, happy for some reason that could actually be a sign that they've in their mind, they've made this decision that right. this is what they're going to do. And they, yeah. they're at peace with themselves in a sense, um, mm -hmm. which does, you know, can't be ignored. Um, but that could be the reason that they're acting that way. Um, so, so that's, a, that's a lot of things to look for. Right. right. Um, but so to just kind of sum it up, what you're looking for is change, mm -hmm. change in behavior, uh, in the people that, you know, I mean, these are people that, you know, you work with, you, you live with, you know, you're going to see these changes hopefully, and, and just trust your instincts, trust your gut that, that this may be somebody that, that may need some, um, conversation. Mm. I do hope that you are enjoying the podcast. I just want to take a quick moment to let you know that this is a production of 180 Media. That's my full service communications and marketing agency. We do a full range of content development, graphic design, web development for WordPress or Wix or other web platforms, copywriting, video work. Check out 180media.com and see also some of my past work and the agency's past work on my blog, johncroll.info. And now back to the podcast. In your days, I'm sure you worked with many individuals who are veterans. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you work in state police. So many of those veterans may have come back and become members of the force. Um, veterans are... Uh, impacted disproportionately uh, by suicide and um you know tell me about that a little bit um you know so so to some extent you know when someone comes back out of the service and maybe they've been overseas for some time right there you know i think maybe we are understanding now that right there we need to take special attention uh to every veteran you know because they've gone through a special set of circumstances that most people in the population do not go through so, uh, but tell me about that a little bit as it relates to suicide prevention and, and veterans and, and the continuous challenges that we have, you know, with it, but, but then also, you know, the approach to it. Yeah. So, so a big part of that is, um, you know, the, well, obviously their experiences. Okay. First and foremost, um, talk, you know, talk about being under high stress, mm. you know, away from their family, away from their support systems, um, overseas and new lands. Most of these um, soldiers, they're, they're young. You know, they're, they fall into that category of young adults, teenagers to some people even still, yeah. you know, where your brain is still developing. Hmm. Um, and they're going into these 
you know, really uh, harrowing experiences, uh, life, life and death experiences. So the impact of that uh, has to be taken into account. And then where the problem is, even if they can adjust to it in that setting, then when they are released from the military, they come back, it's hard for them to uh, readjust back to the life that the rest of us were living mm. and for them to resume the life that they knew before they went. So there's a lot of extra considerations there. And you're right. Um, the suicide rates among veterans is very high. Um, I think a few years ago, there was even a movement where um, it, was, it was representing the number of uh, veterans who were dying a day, which was like about 23. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, which the latest numbers say closer to 18 or 17 a day, which, you know, um, doesn't, that's still not good yeah. by any stretch of yeah. imagination. And I, I hope that it has to do more with awareness and help than attrition, mm -hmm. you know, or just the fact that we're, uh, we're not at war at the moment. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, we were at war for 20 years, right? You know, so there's right. a whole generation mm -hmm. of, of people who served and are back here in circulation with us and, you know, living, living with us. Um, so we need to work, work with them to make sure that they're getting what they need. And it all comes back down to the conversations. You know, I think also there's that, that, um, machismo, the, you know, the uh, masculine aspect of it, that we, we, this isn't something that we talk about. Um, right, because if you're tough, typically don't talk, you don't right, need a therapist. Right, right. Or if the, you're tough, you don't need to, you know, get help, right. as it were. Right. Um, that sort of thing. But I've seen that even start to erode. You know, yeah. I do see that, but I see the, uh, much more, uh, much, a lot of advancement in the conversations. I see that people are more open to it. I was actually in uh, Indiana uh, a couple of weeks ago for at a conference for um, a program called uh, LOSS, which is a suicide um, survivors project. And I was in the hotel uh, dining room and there were these two guys, they were truckers, mm. right? Um, wearing camouflage and big husky guys, you know, and um, they, uh, they were having their own little conversation and before I left the room, they called me over there. For some reason, they thought maybe I lived nearby or whatever. I forget why, but they, they were asking something about the area. And I told them I wasn't from here. And so we talked for a little while. Um, and they, uh, what was interesting was, and I never told them what I did. I never told them why I was even there. <laughs> it never came up. <laughs> but over the course of the conversation, it was only about a 15 minute conversation, 20 minutes tops. Um, one of these guys started talking about how he had suffered, how he had struggled with suicide mm. and the conversation was over firearms. Uh, one guy had several and this other guy said he couldn't have them anymore. And he right. started, he just started to open up. I mean, he doesn't know me. Yeah. And here he is, these two burly guys and they start, and the other one starts talking about a time when he had a hard time. And so that was encouraging to me mm. that, that, you know, that these guys, <laughs> You just wouldn't envision them having this kind of a conversation, really opening up, and and um, you know they they found their own way through, and you know they're in a good place now. They have now they have children and families, and to them that's their purpose. But at, for a period of time they didn't have purpose. So, but it was interesting that they were able to talk to me to me about that. And again, I never I never told them I was here about suicide prevention. <laughs> nothing. It just somehow they just it just came up. Um. So so the conversations are happening, and I, there was a. Um, just recently, as a matter of fact, there's a, an officer out in Sherburne Police Department, which is out kind of near Foxborough, to kind of put in perspective for, mm -hmm. for, for us out here in Berkshires. And uh, he's a relatively new police officer, um, and he's also in the National Guard. 
and he has lost someone in the National Guard to suicide, and he also lost one of his police academy um, classmates to suicide. Mm. So, uh, so Doug Kingsley is the officer's name. He uh, took it upon himself to do a walk across the state to raise awareness for um, the you know the levels of suicide that exist within law enforcement and the military and first responders in general. So um, fortunately, we were able to get connected through uh, the Barrington police chief. And um, I was able to get in t- touch with Doug. And, and uh, Doug was just going to step off from the state line and just walk all the way out to Cape Cod on his own, just see what happens, right? Maybe raise a little money, a little awareness. But I made some phone calls. And like I said before, when, when, when you ask people about this subject, you get a whole bunch of yeses. So I made just a couple quick phone calls. And everybody jumped on board. So to see him off, we had New York State Police, Massachusetts State Police, Rich County Sheriff's Department, Columbia County Sheriff's Department, um, Great Barrington, Egremont. All these people showed up with their cruisers, lights and sirens to see him off. And a couple of us walked with him for the first stretch. Um, he had a, a police escort the whole way down the road. He didn't expect any of that. Mm. And as he went across the state, he just had more and more experiences like that. Mm. Um, so it was encouraging. And he made it, he made it all the way to, to Cape Cod on time, on schedule. And he's talking about doing something again next year, maybe a, re- a relay. But um, so, but it was encouraging to see that, that um, he was bringing light to this um, and that there was so much support mm. for him and for the, for the cause. So, and part of it, is, I mean, I yeah. just like if you have um, an effort uh, to, um, find a cure for cancer, it's healthcare facilities that often, you know, or hospitals and then, you know, those supporting agencies that really provide support. Um, you know, in some other cases, it would be different organizations, but it seems to me that those, first of all, the first responders often are the ones who see the unfortunate results of suicide, but also uh, impacted, like you're saying, so that, you know, people who, whether it's the trauma that they see you know whether veterans the 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 um, experiences that they have um which can be very traumatic and that you know so those who are in law enforcement or first responding um often are are personally impacted in every which way about it so it seems to me that you know having law enforcement you know that that does make a lot of sense uh that there's uh there's an effort you know among the brothers as, as it were and sisters of, of law enforcement and first responders yeah and, and, you know, the, the thing to keep remembering is, you know, we, we get into different dyna- um, demographics when we talk about any any health issue or any issue for that matter. Um, suicide is not, not uh, immune from that. Uh, we, we tend to, you know, focus on different cultures or different di- um, demographics. And, you know, it's important to um, be mindful that different people may be affected with different because of different experiences and different backgrounds, and they may have different levels of access to resources. Um, but ultimately, like I said, early on here, I think I mentioned that, you know, suicide still goes across the board. It affects everybody. It's pretty much a, it's complicated, but it's a universal human uh, matter. So, so I don't like to get too hung up on different demographics. You know, I think we should be mindful that anybody around us could be at risk at all times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with certain caveats of, of, you know, maybe there is a special need here or there or, some, yeah. or a special bit of attention here or there. Yeah. But generally, uh, it should be considered, you know, a, a mm-hmm. very universal issue. Yeah. And just be mindful of everybody. You know, look out for everybody around you. Yeah, because, you know, the, it's impacted 
<laughs> impacts really everyone. And, yeah. and, um, and so I think, you know, as, as we know in communities, people, you know, talk. Um, and so there are often cases where people are like, oh my goodness, I never, ever would have thought that was a possibility, you know, with, with so-and-so, you know, right. he or she had everything going for him or, you know, that sort of thing. So, um, so being closer, you know, you see uh, more details, but, um, but as it were, yeah, there's no, there's no general theme as to like who it impacts. Right. I mean, statistic, if, you know, statistically, uh, it is middle-aged white men. Mm-hmm. And again, I think a lot of that goes to the firearms issue, mm-hmm. uh, to be honest with you. But, um, but it does affect all demographics, all ages, all races. You yeah. Know, there's, there is no, nobody's immune from it, mm-hmm. you know. And now there is an event coming up uh, yep. shortly. And, and as we speak, this is an evergreen podcast. So, yes. um, so this will be, you know, forever. But um, but as we're recording, uh, there is uh, an event Saturday night, I believe. Uh, so we're in uh, mid-November of 2022 right now. Um, and so uh, so that's a, a fundraiser with, uh, with the uh, Berkshire International Film Festival, yes? Yes. So, yeah, so that's coming up. And so it's going to be this Sunday, which to our podcasters, our, our listeners here is Sunday, November twentieth, twenty twenty-two, uh, and it's going to be at three in the afternoon. It's down at the uh, Mahawi Performing Center, Performing Arts Center down in Great Barrington, and um, it's called uh, well, it's, well, what it is, it's it's put together by Biff, the Berkshire International Film Festival, as you mentioned, and the Austin Riggs Center, and it's a um, it's called Shine the Light. And it's a screening and a conversation about youth mental illness and suicide prevention. Uh, it's in cooperation with with the Berkshire Coalition for Suicide Prevention, and also with Kate Morris. And that's Kate Morris from the John C. and Catherine M. Morris Foundation out of Stockbridge. So there's two parts to this. Um, there's two things that are going to be shown. One is this Ken Burns presents Hiding in Plain Sight, Youth Mental Illness. And it's going to be a segment from that documentary, not the whole thing, just a segment of it. Mm-hmm. And it's followed by a three-minute PSA that was produced uh, starting here in the Berkshires. Uh, but in, it, it's a it's a video, a music video with kids from around the country, and it's sort of the brain. It was the brainchild of, of Kate Morris uh, back, you know, in two thousand two thousand one, when there was a lot of weight on people. Um, she found some comfort in the the lyrics from from the song "Up on a Roof," uh, which you know is. Uh, was uh, written by Carol King and made famous by the Drifters in the '60s, and then there was a, a a cover by James Taylor in the '70s. So it was those words that that uh, kind of inspired her to do this, and it was one of those situations where she just reached out to the right to the people that she she knew that could maybe make it happen, and it was all yes, 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 sign me up. How do I do this? Mm-hmm. You know, volunteering to do these things. So she produced this video, and that's going to be aired uh, at at this event. Um, there'll be also some, uh, there'll be a panel. Uh, there's going to be some people there talking uh, who were involved with the making mm-hmm. of the, of the Ken Burns hiding in plain sight, as well as the PSA. Uh, some of the money that is raised from this PSA goes to a group called um, find your anchor. And the person who, who, who started that, her name is Ali Borowski. She's actually going to be uh, here speaking as well. Mm-hmm. And what find your anchor is, is basically um, uh what Allie did was she set up this organization where they, they hand out boxes. They leave boxes with uh, necessities, but also with um, 
inspiration and mm-hmm. hope messages and items and stuff like that and they're left in places where they where, where there's perceived despair mm-hmm. and the idea behind it is if if someone comes along they're welcome to take that box and hopefully they'll get something uh, they'll get some inspiration out of it um but also to recognize that if a stranger cares enough about me then mm-hmm. then maybe my friends do too and so it's kind of a grounding and sort of a realization that you know there is there are people who care mm-hmm. and it may not just be the stranger that left this box, you know, in the, on the corner of the street could be the people closest to you. Mm. So it, that's meant to inspire that. So that's called find your anchor. And that's sort of, that's the, the beneficiary of, of the PSA. Uh, we're also going to have some speakers, uh, Dr. Jane Tillman from Austin Riggs and Dr. Brenda Butler from uh, Berkshire health systems. So the focus on this is, is youth. Um, so anybody 18 and younger, it's free admission. Uh, they they are asking for a fifteen dollar uh, charge for adults uh, over eighteen, uh, well nineteen and over. And if you ha- if you are looking for tickets, you can get a hold of it. Uh, you can uh, pre order them through uh, biffma dot org. So it's b i f f m a dot org or mahawi dot org through their website. So if you want more information about the event, you'll see it there. You also see it on the uh, Berkshire Coalition for Suicide Prevention website as well. But uh, yeah, so looking forward to it. And and it's good to to have these events, especially. You know, again, we talk about demographics, but it's the youth demographic that um, I think we can all rally around most readily. I mean, we, we can all relate to that. Mm. Um, you know, kids have a tough time. We all, we all did too, right? But uh, it's, it, maybe it's different now. It sure seems different. It seems like there's more going on, they all, you know, especially with COVID. That was something we fortunately never had to go through as, as, as teens. And teen brains, as we know, are still in development. So trying to navigate through life as as we know it anyway is already challenging uh you know trying to find your place trying to find your identity so um teens are at high risk like everybody else mm. for for suicide so when there's an event like this in berkshire county uh specific to to youth we we you know are so happy to be involved with that um and some of the some of this youth oriented stuff that we do again going back to some of the community involvement um there's uh, made for Purgatory Road. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, up in Dalton. They've been doing that for quite a number of years. Where they had uh, started out as a haunted hayride, then it was a haunted, um, uh, you know, hay may or uh, corn maze. And uh, so this year they they were in and uh, they worked in conjunction with the uh, Dalton CRA. Um, but um, yeah, so but uh, Be- Betsy um, uh, Betsy Nickel and uh, and Joanne Farrell. They put to get this thing together every year, and the kids that that all volunteer their time to be the actors and you know the the spooky actors and the, and the guides and everything like that and all the setup that they do and they do it all for free, and all the money that they raise through uh, the price of admission and uh, other donations that come through, they give all to the coalition for mm-hmm. the purpose of focusing on, on youth events. Um, and they've done this for so many years. And uh, last year, uh, they weren't able to put it together, but but there were some other funds that came in through the uh, um, through the uh, Berkshire Money Management and through the owner of Crust and Elada, and they they helped uh, supplement uh, that those funds for that year. But with that that kind of money, what we've been able to do is some things like we brought in a a speaker uh, by the name of, of um, Kevin Hines, and I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with him, but I you know if your listeners want to look him up online. Um, he has quite a story to tell. Mm. He, uh, 
he's been on all the talk shows over the years. Uh, but what, what his story is, is that in 2000, he was suffering from depression and mental health issues. And he lived in San Francisco. So he went to the Golden Gate Bridge and he decided that he wanted to die that day. And he threw himself over the railing. And he says the moment that he vaulted over and let his hand go, he immediately regretted it. Mm. He was incredibly lucky in that he survived. And now he tells a story about um, seeking the help that you need. Huh. Um, so we amazing. Were, yeah. And I, and I just, you know, again, and that's something that, because there's something there, mm -hmm. right? So when people, they sort of make the decision and then, like we said, if it's not a handgun or, um, you know, the most lethal method, mm -hmm. there is often this sort of immediate rethinking of it. Oh, yeah. wait a minute, you know, this is real. And so there's something to that. And, mm -hmm. you know, as you, you try to help people, or if one is going through that, that's something to maybe talk about a little bit, right? Uh, because it may seem like it's the end, or it seems like there's no way out of the situation, right? But then when you have that sort of release of, oh, okay, this is it, maybe, you know, it, may, you know, not to say, oh, maybe it's not so bad, uh, you know, or what have you, but when you get to that place of permanent, this is we're done with this lifetime. Um, you know, you begin to maybe put things a little bit more in perspective mm -hmm. as to, okay, I have something to live for. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, it's really interesting. Yeah. And, and having spoken when they, when they did a study of, uh, there were 1300, in a, I'm sorry, in a space of time, uh, they had measured, there were about 1300 confirmed suicides off of the, um, uh, Golden Gate Bridge and confirmed meant there had to have been two people who had witnessed it. So there's probably more, probably more. Yeah. In that same time frame, there were 16 people, and I think Kevin may have been one of them, um, who survived. And every single one of them um, said that they immediately re regretted it, and not a single one of them tried again. Mm. Um, and even they also did a study of, of the number of people that they inter intervened who were standing on, on the edge, and they somebody went up, and they, the staff on the, on the bridge were trained to look right. for signs. So they started intervening with people. There's over 500 people over this period of time that they that they um, were able to get to safety, and 95% um, of them over the next couple of decades did not go on to commit suicide. They didn't attempt suicide again. Yeah. Um, and what it comes down to is the pain, because what when we you know when we talk about suicide, right? Um, suicide is is not about death. Uh, it's more about the need to overcome an unbearable psychological pain, and you know, one exercise that, that we talk about is trying to imagine or thinking back to a time when you were in the most pain that you can think of. Okay. Yeah. Uh, maybe you were in a bad accident. Maybe you were in labor. Uh, maybe um, you had just gotten some horrible news. Um, maybe you just hit your, your thumb with the, with the hammer, right? Even go there, even go there in your head. At that moment, if someone says, Hey, how do I, how do I get to uh, your house from here? You probably couldn't even put the words together to do that. And that's, that's where people are when they're in this level of distress. Uh, they're in such pain that they can't think straight and they, they can get this tunnel vision. Mm. And so that's where it's, a, you know, if you can get ahead of that before it becomes a crisis, then great. But sometimes we don't. And, and now it's a crisis. So um, the idea is just to be aware of that and try to get involved because what, what people tend to be the state that they're in when they're, uh, 
contemplating suicide or, or taking actions to, to die by suicide is ambivalence. Most often it's ambivalence. Die, live, doesn't matter. Mm. So, you know, we have to be mindful. We have to step in. You know, if, if you think you see somebody who needs a conversation, um, assume that you're the first person to ask. Assume that you may be the only right. one that's going to ask, right? Right. Because we, we're, we're inclined to have these conversations. We see this stuff. We, you know, we, we've all had these conversations where it's like, hey, I'm worried about so-and-so. Yeah, they, they're acting this way or that but way. But did anybody tell so-and-so? Exactly. <laughs> right. So <laughs> we can talk something. amongst ourselves. Because, you know, and, yeah. and, I, and I think, in, you know, because, and again, you know, not the mental health professional here, but if you acknowledge it, um, you know, uh, knowing that, okay, out of the 16 people who jumped off the bridge and regretted it, and many people who then report that they tried, decided not to do it and regretted mm -hmm. the, the try, um, then, you know, to some extent it is that it's not necessarily, like you said, it's not necessarily the, the death that's out there looking for, they're looking for an acknowledgement. They're looking for help or, you know, but they don't know how to ask for it maybe, or they're just looking <clears throat> for another way. Um, and, but they don't know any other way other than, than the attempt of, of suicide. So, um, so that acknowledgement um, for many people uh, who are considering it may just be the thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, that, that's the thing is that, so when you start to see all these signs and, and you think that you should intervene, do it. Hmm. Okay. Um, as a rule of thumb, um, just, just step forward and, and, and have that conversation. But, but we also need to be, you know, there's some things to consider when you have that conversation. Right. Right. Um, you know, and the same goes for yourself too. If you, if you're at the point where, where you think that, you know, you're, you're exceptionally depressed or you're, or you're overly anxious, um, that's a sign that maybe you should be reaching out. Right. So, um, and, and, you know, if you've reached out and it just didn't resonate with somebody, either you're reaching out to somebody you're concerned about, or you're concerned about yourself and it just didn't resonate. They just weren't receptive. Keep trying. Okay. Mm -hmm. or, or reach out to someone who is a professional and ask them. And it's important to have the conversations. And I, I do want to talk a little bit about what those conversations look like. Yeah, yeah. But here's the important thing is that if you don't feel comfortable or probably more, more appropriately confident, right? You don't feel confident about having that conversation. You're afraid you're going to say the wrong thing or whatever, which you're probably not. Okay. If, if, you're, if you're already acknowledging this, you, you're probably in the right mindset anyway. But if you're not confident, you don't think you can do it, bring someone in who can. All right, bring in a third person and say, hey, listen, I'm really concerned. Can, could you ask him? Could you go have this conversation with him? And the thing is that the bonus in all of this is even if a conversation, after the conversation or during the conversation, it turns out that that suicide um, turns out not to be the concern, um, there was a reason you had that conversation because you already recognized that they probably were still in some level of distress. And just by intervening, um, you may have comforted them and shown them support. And, you know, you've maybe broken some barriers. Now they know that, you know, they may be grateful. I mean, right. they, they may think you're intrusive, you know. But no. somebody cares. You know, so, somebody cares. But that, that might but be worth cares enough right. to make you uncomfortable. Right. You know, and then that person cares enough to make themselves feel uncomfortable yeah. because it is uncomfortable. Right. Especially if you're kind of like 50-50. Is this person really in that point of distress where I need to do it? But, you know, but showing love is never really going to be the wrong thing right exactly yeah and you know and even if even if you have that situation where you just you upset somebody because they feel like you're inv invading on their prop on their on their privacy or what have you um 
you know, you, you did the right thing. Hmm. And they probably know that too. Yeah, they right. just, yeah, they don't want to admit they're just, it. They, they're, they're just not there. They're just not there. But, <laughs> right. but you can't go, you know, ultimately in the, in the grand scheme of things, you can't go wrong by Karen. Yeah. Right? So if you, if you are in that situation where you feel that you need to, to be the person to have that conversation, right. Or you found someone else who can do it for you. Um, just some basic things. You obviously want to do this in private. So you want to find the time, find the place. Um, you know, if it's a, if you're concerned, if you're generally concerned, don't. When I say find the time, don't schedule it in your head like a week from now. You know, but um, you know, not in the middle of, of a room full of people. You know, common sense. So try to find that private time and place. Um, just listen. It's really all about listening. Um, that's what everybody here is doing today, right? All these podcast listeners, they're listening, right? <laughs> We hope so. Yeah, we hope so. <laughs> um, so it's, it's just about listening to their story. Um, get an idea of what, what it is that they maybe they're going through. Um, you know, you can express your concern. You can express your caring. Uh, be empathetic. You know, that's that's the, the kind of like being in their skin kind of thing. You know, be mindful of your tone. Um, open-ended questions. Uh, you know, we, we have kids. You know, how many times you ask your kid, hey, what's school? how was school today? Fine. You know, well, how are you doing? Fine. Everything okay? Yeah, you know, you're not getting anything out of that, right? So, so open-ended questions. These are our questions um, that that can't be answered with that simple yes or no. Uh, and it, by doing that, you encourage more of a talk, more more of an expression of of their feelings and their situation. Yeah, because if you're like, are you okay? Like, yeah, yeah. Well, tell me more about that. Or you know, yeah. You, you, you know, I think we can all construct those questions as as, as we see them as, as we, in their in their, whatever situation we're in. Mm -hmm. So. Um, but ultimately, you know, if if you're concerned about someone dying by suicide, or you think that they're at risk for suicide, uh, ask directly about suicide, okay? Because asking someone if they're considering suicide does not put the idea into their head. Yeah, and, and, that, that, and that's that was a, an old myth. That's a, that's a myth, yeah. and yep. and and that and that's really interesting because it's like it's almost like shining light, mm -hmm. you know, on the subject. Um, you know, allowing it to, to just hang out there. Yeah. Um, but it's not, yeah, it's not putting it in their head. Like, Oh geez, you know, I didn't think of that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that seems kind of like a good idea right now, but no, it's, that's, that's not how it works. No. So that, that don't let that be a, a an inhibitor for you. Um, and in fact, as you said, if somebody has, they, they've done studies with people who have been in that situation and if they had made a decision in their head or they were seriously contemplating suicide, it was something they hadn't talked about and it was just trapped in their head, just bounced around in their head. Now someone has actually asked them about it. So immediately it lowers the anxiety and it opens up the communications. And if they are actually able to talk about it, they can hear it out loud and it can help. Hmm. You know, they can, maybe they can, they go, Oh yeah, that, that, yeah, that doesn't, that is not, that's not right for me. You know, mm -hmm. they hear it out loud. Hmm. Um, if they say that they were contemplating or are contemplating, Ask them about their plan. Ask them if they had a plan. Um, again, this is part of talking it out loud is going to help them to kind of hopefully and, and usually um, make them realize this isn't the right thing for me. Yeah. And yeah, because it's like it's almost like the conversation is out there and now they're able to step outside and look from the outside in. Yes. Uh, because it's now out there. 
and then be able to sort of be more objective about it and and maybe yeah like you said come to the realization like whoa yeah. whoa i yeah. got down this road <laughs> wait a minute right. you know so um so that's really good stuff yeah because i mean think about it, we've all made mistakes or, and bad decisions mm -hmm. on all on all kinds sure. of scales right just <laughs> And it, and you realize if if somebody if you just talked about it beforehand you wouldn't have done it you know it's even simple things like something you bought online or something you know what I mean just right. li little decisions just think about there's something in your life where you go if I just talked about it or written it down I probably wouldn't have done it right hmm. um so, so so yeah when you do ask about the plan them saying it out loud is going to help them kind of moderate it and, and uh, mitigate it hopefully um but you know discuss with them a plan for safety. Okay. Especially if, if, you know, just having that conversation doesn't make it, doesn't clear the air completely. Sure. They're still, there's, they're, they're thinking these things for, because of all these other stuff that's going on in their life. So, so in the meantime, what you want to do, and this is the, the most, aside from having the conversations, the next big, biggest thing you can do, and that's creating time and distance between them and their means of, of how they may, what their plan was. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or any other way that they might die by suicide. So, especially if you hear what their plan was, you can, you can really focus on that in mm -hmm. particular. Um, you know, like, so you take the keys away from, from a friend who was drunk, right? That's something that's been drilled into our heads. You know, let friends don't let friends drive drunk. So think about it the same way, not to, not to say that they're not to put them in the same level as intoxication, but um, what you want to do is, is let them know that you're going to be the safe guard for these things. So uh, let, you know, let them know that, that you'll, you'll be discreet. In securing whatever it might be, it might be their firearms, uh, maybe their pills, uh, razor blades, what, whatever it might be. That's part of the plan. You're that safe person to to take custody of these things and, and hold on to them until they're ready, until until they've worked out their problems and gotten to a safer place. And you know, we, we can do it sensitively. Um, you know, if you're taking away somebody's car, if if that had part of their plan, um, you know, just like when like when some of our grandparents and so forth and our parents when when you know, you got to take away their license and stuff because, you know, it's a sensitive thing. You're taking away their sense of freedom. There's so much more than just taking away the car, right? Right. right. So uh, particularly when we're talking about guns, uh, you know, you got to recognize that you're taking away somebody's possible sense of security, their sense of identity. So you want to be able to do it discreetly and, and preserve their dignity in the process. And the, the best person to do that is someone who's close to them and, and, and gets them. Um, this know, is all, you know, being done once that individual has kind of agreed yes to say you know what and he acknowledged it you know saying okay yes i was thinking about it yeah can you help me yes yeah so you, you know you you get to that point you mm -hmm. know and and then and then all this can can right. uh, filter in yeah right because that's what you need you need it, it's so much more helpful to everybody if you if if you got their buy um you know, there's another program that uh, a train because one of the things we do is we do some trainings. We do a thing called Talk Saves Lives. Uh, and we'll, we do it for free. Uh, we'll do it at any organization or, 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 or business or anything. Um, and it's about an hour long thing. And it's basically the things we're talking about today, what to look for, what to do, little background stats, that type of thing. Um, but there's another one called um, QPR and it's a question, persuade, refer. And either one of them, the big part here is that once you have that conversation you want to refer them to the help mm -hmm. okay so again this is layman's stuff so you're not you're not responsible for um getting them through their depression right and getting them mentally uh fit just you know because we're not trained to do that but it's about identifying it caring enough to ask 
having the conversation, protecting them as best you can, and then getting them to the help. And if you can get them to um, to get buy-in and then, you know, it's their idea, then that's fantastic because mm. now, now they're invested in it. Right. And and they may have been in that state of despair because they, they don't feel they have control in their life. You're giving them control. Mm-hmm. This is something now that they can take control. They, they can, you know, um, regain a sense of control in their lives by being part of going to get help. Mm. And it doesn't always have to be, you know, a ride to the emergency room. Uh, it could be a series of phone calls and agreements and, and you know, that because uh, we know it's hard to find uh, and no fault of anybody in the business, but it's hard to find uh, therapists, mm-hmm. you know, who have appointments available. It's hard. I mean, it, it was across the board for everything right now, right? It's hard to find anybody it is, it to is, do anything. Yeah. So, um, and it's it, by, by no stretch is that a, a, a criticism of anybody who's doing this work. It's just that there's just not enough of them. Right. Right. So, so you're not necessarily going to get into a therapist right away. Um, but if it's a true emergency, then, then yeah, you need to consider that they need to get to the hospital as quick as possible. So it may be a call to 911. And one thing I want to go, go back to um, when we're talking about these conversations, it's, what's real important, of course, is that if you're in a situation where it's a real threat, like they're in the process of, of, of a, a attempting suicide uh, or there's, there's a th- risk or threat to you or somebody else, this isn't the time to just have a simple, quiet little conversation. That's an emergency. Mm. And your your um, safety is at risk, so that's a call to nine one one. Right, okay? right. Um, and when you're having the conversation, a couple of things to be mindful too is things not to do. Okay, so there's there's the things to do. Yeah, I was gonna say there's yeah. something you know there are definitely <laughs> yeah and uh, probably like you know popular you know films or anything probably aren't the best uh, approach to it. You know, yeah. um, so when you know when you're talking with somebody who's suffering from depression and anxiety, you want to avoid a few things. Number one is you, you want to minimize. I'm sorry, you want to avoid minimizing um, their feelings, right? Uh, because those of us who, who have never experienced major depression, we just literally can't imagine exactly how it feels, right? So we don't want to minimize any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't want to lecture. Uh, we don't, we got to be very careful when you ask the question about whether they are, are considering suicide is you don't want to say something like, uh, quote, uh, you know, you're not thinking of, of, of anything crazy, are you? Hmm. right you're not thinking of anything crazy like killing yourself are you because first of all the are you you're not what, right. what is that that's saying just tell me no right mm-hmm. so that's not an actual dialogue right and to call it crazy you're not thinking of doing something crazy are you in their minds like we talked about earlier they've been in such pain psychological pain this is the logical them, next step this is the logical step so it's not crazy yeah. so yeah they may be considering dying by suicide after your conversation but it's not crazy. Mm. And so it's about how you ask the question. So I just, and again, I don't want to say this stuff to like make people worried about, Oh, geez, I'm going to screw it up. Yeah. I, I don't want to cause any, um, I don't want to stunt anybody from, from getting, from stepping into these conversations, but I just want to kind of put these things out there to be aware of it, you know, mm. before you do it, you know, and that all has a judgmental connotation, a question like that. Um, you want to avoid um, trying to convince them in that moment that worth that life is worth living, okay? Because you know this, they're at the, they're at a crisis point, and this isn't the time to have a. They're not thinking clearly, mm-hmm. okay? This isn't the time to have a philosophical debate about life being worth living and so forth, right? It's just not the time for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to advise, give them advice, or tell them how to quote unquote fix it, 
you know, um, you know, by comparison, if someone's having a heart attack, you don't just stand over them and say, you know, maybe you should eat better, right? It's not the time. Mm-hmm. Um, those are conversations that can happen later. So what are, do you say? Yeah, right. So, you know, it's, it's really, because, you, know, you know, it's not worth it, yeah. you know? Right. Because, <laughs> yeah, because again, that, what, what, we're, what I'm trying to project here is that we are not the psychiatrists. We're not the counselors, yeah. right? So we're not responsible for, I don't want anybody to feel responsible for um, turning them around and getting them the help, getting them their medication. That's all the professionals. It's just about recognizing what, what we can do as a layman, right? Recognizing the risk, the challenges, the, the potential that there could be a real problem here and addressing it, mm-hmm. showing them that they care, giving them the hope. That's the big thing. Give them hope, show them that they care. And then how can I help you? Let's get you to, let's get, you know, if you're willing to go get some help. Mm-hmm. Right. And in the meantime, I'm going to keep these things away from you. And yeah. we're going to try to keep some buffer zone here for you. So, so that's why I say that this isn't the time for those deeper conversations because it's just yeah. not going to resonate. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you're not the trained professional in that. Yeah. Neither am I. Are there any phrases that uh, are recommended you know so um, I'm, I'm just thinking of that hypothetical yeah. when somebody is standing on the side of the bridge mm-hmm. or some you know and you don't have control of what they're doing at that moment right you know what i'm saying so like what what can be said you know other yeah, yeah well, i don't know right? i know because because we that's our instinct is to do everything we can right we want to mm-hmm. save them Right. If you're, you're invested at that moment, you want to you want to save them. You want to maybe throw in everything out. What's going to stick? Um, but you want to be careful not to come across as that. You're so desperate, you're just throwing everything out. Mm-hmm. The big thing go back to listening, mm-hmm. right? So it's going to be about listening. Uh, a lot of it, a lot of that uh, anxiety is going to deflate just by them knowing that you're listening, right? Okay. So already that that's your win, mm-hmm. hopefully. Um, and they're not feeling pressure from you in any way to give you something in other words you know if you're putting the pressure oh you got to get down you know that's pressure or you know it's not worth it like you know what's wrong with you that's pressure whereas maybe the approach to say we're here i'm listening is there something yeah what can we do that we can help you with right yeah that sort of yeah would you be willing to go see somebody who, who can talk to you more about this yeah you know um that, that type of thing is more helpful because, mm-hmm. um, you know, in some cases, like, like I've heard, I've had, had testimonials from, from men in this case where they had a, a firearm and they put it to their, to their head and they were considering dying by suicide. Um, they said in that moment in their life, they felt in control. They didn't go through with it, but that was their sense of control. So you don't want to, if you have, if you're dealing mm-hmm. with somebody, well, if you're dealing with somebody who has a firearm out that that's a situation you shouldn't be in okay but um but where you mentioned something like somebody on the edge of a, of a bridge or whatever you know and, and i've been in those situations having those conversations with people um it's not about you know hey just step back you know don't do it now it has this is part of their control this mm-hmm. is their little it's whether they go you know especially if they don't go through with it um that's the control that they've found for themselves and you don't want to um just take that away from because now you're taking that away hmm. right so there's other things you know hey kind of get them to a safer spot can we talk over here you know i feel uncomfortable being here but i really want to talk with you about this can we go over here and talk about it hmm. you know so that we can have more so that i can learn more about what's going on so that you can tell me more about what's going on can we go over here so this little 
nudges like that that are still, you know, keeping their dignity intact, um, being respectful. Um, you know, you're not in charge of them. You know, you're just there to listen. Mm -hmm. And that, that's the role you got to kind of put yourself in. Um, but again, safety first. You can't stress that enough for anybody. Right, right, right. Um, and, you know, when you have when you have any of these questions, here's the other thing we, I mentioned on, about timing. Um, there's the Friday question, right? So let's say you've got a, a coworker and all week long something's been off and now it's Friday afternoon, you're out in the parking lot, you're both getting in your cars and you're like, hey, um, how are you doing? Uh, everything okay? And they say, no. I don't know. Nothing's nothing's going right. Uh, oh, are you thinking of hurting yourself? Maybe. Okay. Well, that's then the conversation doesn't turn to well, checking in with me on Monday. <laughs> right. There's right? no. Yeah. There's no. So, you know, good for you for asking, but yeah, you own it a little bit too. You got you got you can't just you yeah. can't just step away. Okay. So that's that's where the whole timing, the time and place comes into into play. You know, if you're going to have that conversation, if you have those concerns. Make sure you are ready to catch that. Yeah. Yeah. Because then if you know, and mm -hmm. then you don't show any further empathy or com commitment to help somebody that it's like that, mo that may only be reinforcing yes. the problem yeah. that uh, someone feels alone and, and maybe helpless and, and no one's going to help. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, there's so much to talk about, um, you know, but like I said, that this, what I want to stress on everybody is it's, it's really about, breaking down the stigma and having conversations. And that's what the coalition, that's that's our biggest mission is trying to get that, get that out, letting people know about their resources, uh, getting out trainings, um, reaching out to all aspects of our community and, and making them more aware of the, um, the scope of the problem of, of, of suicide and what to look for, how to interact, how to inter interject. Um, in, in the best way that we can, you know, and nothing's a guarantee. You know, I, I said at the beginning, you know, ultimately the decision to die by suicide is, is the decision of the person who died. And so you know, sometimes we're not successful with our interaction. Um, some people just won't, it's just not gonna have, the conversations just aren't gonna be happening. They're not gonna admit to what's going on. Um, there's a series, you know, all kinds of, scenarios every, every situation is different but if, if you go into if you go in eyes wide open to what to look for um i think we're, we are ahead of the game so how can people uh, learn more about the coalition we have the fundraiser also, but, um, you know, are you looking for other committee members, volunteers, um, other people to, to get involved? Yeah. So, um, so our, our board, we have, uh, I think 12 of us on the board at the moment. And, uh, but we, we are looking for volunteers. We have, um, the need when we, what we do most, where we interact with the public most are at, uh, events where we can table. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, Thursday, uh, Lennox, uh, Apple Squeeze, anything where there's a lot of foot traffic and activity. And we'll, we'll set up a table and we'll put all of our resources out there and uh, just try to get people to know about what's available and have those conversations. Mm -hmm. And um, and we, we have a lot of conversations. A lot of people stop by mm -hmm. and, and are very open to, to uh, subjects, mm -hmm. you know, which is great. 
So we could occasionally use some help in that regard um, with ha having people available to attend to these events. Mm -hmm. um, so you can always reach out to us uh, at our website and there's a, a, a email address on there that, that you can send um, you can uh, send us an email if, if you're interested in being helpful uh, being a part of the team in that regard. Uh, we have a um, newsletter that people can sign up for. You can just you know, check our website. You can see some of the events that are coming up, some of the things that we've done. Um, so yeah, there's 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 definitely hey, we're always looking for help, uh, as is everybody. Right. <laughs> you know, there's no. a lot. There's so many great um, uh, efforts out there. You know, and everybody could use a little help. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Well, good stuff. And then there's the uh, fundraiser on Saturday night. That's November twentieth of 2022. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and uh, and I'm sure um, if, if you're listening to this and, and it's already happened, uh, there's probably you can probably find information on uh, online uh, about the event uh, post the event. But um, but as it were, you know, people can learn more. Um, I believe on the BIF website. Yes. Um, and probably also uh, to the coalition website as well. So, um, Brian, do we miss anything at all? Uh, no, but I just want to. Uh, I just want to bring up one little thing. Um, so there's this great book that I found a couple of years ago. It's called The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse. And it's uh, the author is a guy named Charlie uh, Mackesy. He's, uh, mm -hmm. he's from Great Britain. And he's basically a sketch artist. Mm -hmm. And he, he drew all these sketches with these four different characters. And they're pretty rudimentary sketches, but you can, you can make it out what they are. And he would just do a little sayings. And he'd write them, just leave them around and stuff like that at his local pub and all that stuff. So uh, someone encouraged him to put them all together in a book and as a lo loosely based as a story, <laughs> kind of string it together, <laughs> kind of a story, right? But, um, and each page is its own uh, little narrative. And so, you know, what I found in that book were two, two pages in particular that I think are, are important to really speak to a lot of this. And, and it's about, you know, not just helping others, but also helping yourself. Okay. Because a lot of proactive, we talked about, you know, the things about how to, um, the signs and the factors and the risk factors, but there's also proactive factors that we can all take for each other and for ourselves. And that has to do with just making sure that your, uh, your mental wellness is, uh, cared for. Mm -hmm. Right. And that we all get anxiety. We all get stressed out, um, to not be afraid to ask for help. And so, so there's this two passages in this book and, and the one, one reads, and this is the animals and the, and the kid talking to each other. Okay. So, um, but it, it says, um, in quotes, it says, what's the bravest thing you've ever said? Asked the boy. Help, said the horse. And the horse said, asking for help isn't giving up. It's refusing to give up. So I think that those are important things that, that we can, mm -hmm. um, you know, understand that, you know, if you need help, it's not about giving up. It's about not giving up. Hmm. It's refusing to give up. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Brian Burkle, it's a great pleasure uh, meeting you Same. and first meeting, first time meeting you in person. And um, I really commend all the work you're doing and certainly the members of the coalition. Um, yeah, know, it's a great, great team, great team of people. Making progress, I think, yeah. and um, and uh, continuing to get these messages out there and, and getting help for people for sure. So um, I appreciate it. I appreciate, appreciate your service in the state police and the DA's office and everything you did in your career and uh, continue to do so. So it's very commendable. It's, it's, it's great. It's great to meet you. Well, thanks for giving, giving me an opportunity to talk about this important subject.
Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the John Crow podcast on your platform of choice. Maybe it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify, whatever works for you. Also, I would like to hear from you on the people and the stories that you'd like to hear more of. Send me a note through Facebook Messenger, Instagram, LinkedIn. I'm easy to find and I'm easy to reach. I look forward to hearing from you. And if you'd like to support the podcast for less than a cup of coffee, and I'm not talking about the cost of a large latte at a fancy coffee shop, no, more like a McDonald's coffee, go into the description of this episode and scroll down to the anchor.fm link. It's right there. Just click it and you can see your options or log on to anchor.fm backslash John hyphen Kroll backslash support. Again, thank you for listening. I'm John Kroll. Talk to you soon.